okay? Uh, we've been walking, as I mentioned, through a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I will, I will kind of hone in on that a bit in a second. What I'd like you to do, if you have your Bibles, grab your Bibles or your smartphones, you young, hip church, and uh, turn to Isaiah 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10. This is the beginning of an area in, in the writings of the prophet of Isaiah talking about the reign of the coming Messiah putting this puzzle together to tell us what it's going to look like when this, this promised seed of Abraham is going to come and bless the entire creation, really. So if, uh, if you're ready, let's stand. In Isaiah 40, verse, just verses 10 and 11 we're going to read. This is the Word of God, and throughout Scripture, especially the Old Testament, it was a sign of reverence and, and actually a sign of worship to stand up uh, when the Word of God was read. The Word of God to us this morning. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. God of grace, I pray you would speak to us this morning on the idea the idea, the concept, the character of gentleness. You know our hearts, you know our minds. You know through your spirit where we need to be chiseled and where we need to be worked on. And so I pray we would be open to the work of your spirit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can take a seat. As I mentioned, we've been walking through uh, the fruit of the spirit in, in a letter that the apostle wrote to a church in Galatia, the ancient uh, area of Galatia. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul writes this. He says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What the Apostle Paul, if you don't know the Apostle Paul, was like the first church planner, the first big missionary, and compiled the theology of, of Christianity. Um, He's trying to make it clear to these readers that there are certain characteristics that ought to be true of us if we call ourselves Christ followers, if we are establishing and growing our lives in Christ. So, like any piece of fruit, uh, an, an apple does not become red by really wanting to be red, right? It doesn't, I want to be sweet. That's not how it works. The way an apple becomes an apple is by being attached to the tree. It gets all its nutrients and all its identity from being attached to the tree. That's why Jesus, in the Gospel of John, says, Abide in me and I in you. That's how we take on these things. It's not about, it's not like, let's go, go, make this another list we have to go through. Oh man, I'm a Christian now, i got to be more like this. More like, that's not what it comes from. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more these things will naturally come out of us. The more we, we abide in Christ, the more we want to practice these things in our lives. Paul got it. He, he, Paul could be bold when he wrote letters, but he also knew how to be gentle. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, he says, But we were gentle, Paul speaking of himself and those who ministered with him, we were gentle when we were among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Puritan leader and theologian Jonathan Edwards called gentleness the Christian spirit. He said, All who are truly godly and are real disciples of Christ have a gentle spirit in them. The Spirit's already in them. Is it going to, to live out? He was known for his great quotes and his stellar perm. Just awesome hair. When the Old Testament describes what the Messiah would look like, as we've heard a bit already from Isaiah, and in Isaiah 42, he says this. It's really interesting. We've, most of us maybe have heard this, but a bruised reed he will not break. Think of a, a reed in the water that's kind of already bent and kind of flopping there. It, it's very, it's very uh, fragile. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So he's going to have this great power, but even around gentleness he will be very careful. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus says of himself, take my yoke upon you, connect yourself to me, literally, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, we, t we connect ourselves to a lot of things. Jesus says, you can connect, you connect yourself to me, you will find peace, rest for your souls. 
Paul would often point to the gentleness of Christ as a reminder of how we ought to live. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, he says, I, Paul, myself, Paul, sorry, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. That, that's our model. We find it in Christ. Well, looking back at this, this opening text of Isaiah 40, 10 to 11, which is, it's really, as I mentioned, this first chapter in this, this collection of, of writings of prophecies about the coming Messiah, a description of what the reign of Jesus would look like in the world and as he reigns over his people. That he is powerful and strong, he is mighty, his recompense, that's a word we use, we're always using that, right? Recompense goes before him. Recompense means his power to make things right. It goes before him. All power and authority are his, yet... He is also, in the same text, described as a gentle shepherd who lovingly gathers his lambs, carries them, and gently leads. And so when we take that text in its entirety and the continuation of what Isaiah says and the unpacking of Scripture, we, we, see, we see what seems to be two different aspects of God's character being described at the same time. Power and might, but also tender Tenderness and, and gentle care. So it's clear that gentleness, gentleness does not mean a lack of power and strength. Gentleness does not mean a lack of power and strength. In fact, the first thing I would want to say to you this morning is that the, there is strength in gentleness. There is a great strength in gentleness. It takes strength to be gentle, especially when everything is screaming out that something unjust has happened to you. And you want to respond. It takes strength. To be gentle. Much more than I often have at times. Speaking about leadership in the church, the Apostle Paul writes to these young pastors. He knows full well that they're going to be walking through some, some frustration and are going to need a spirit of gentleness. 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, that a leader in the church should not be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And then to Titus, Titus 3, he says, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. Apostle James, the brother of Christ, writes in James 3.17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, it seeks out peace, it's gentle, it's open to reason. We're rarely open to reason when we're not being gentle. Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Notice that in all of these scenarios, there's a choice. You can be this, you can be angry, you can demand justice, or there's another choice. You can instead come and be gentle and show strength in that way. Gentleness is not what we do when we have no other choice. It is chosen in place of lashing out, instead of this show of strength. Even when we have that strength, we show gentleness. It isn't strength to lose your cool. It isn't strength to just say, I've got the power here and I'm going to prove it to you. Years, uh, a couple years back, I was uh, in, in a traffic jam. We stopped at a traffic light and there, this guy got out of his huge truck, bald guy, beard, uh, tattoos all over his arms, intimidating, jumped out. I, I just realized it just now who that person was. No. Towering over the small car that was in front of him, he leaned over, I don't know what this lady had done, had cut him off or something, and he leaned over this car of this very small, visible minority woman who was very frightened, just holding the, 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 the steering wheel, had nowhere to go, and she just looked forward in fear as this man yelled at her. Eventually the light changed, and everyone started honking for this guy to move. He looked out at everybody and gave him the, the one-way sign, but he learned it the wrong way. And so it, it didn't look as peaceful as some other people do it. No one, when that traffic started moving, no one went, man, that guy, that guy is strong. Look at the strength in that guy. See how he stood over that little lady and yelled at her? That's not strength. It's not strength to lash out. Anybody can do that. That just comes naturally. That bubbles out of us. It's strength to hold that back. And when that's an option to offer gentleness. See, a show of strength is, a, is an easy option when we have the power and we feel like we've been offended. But when gentleness is shown by someone of great power, it, in, it enhances gentleness. 
It enhances the gentleness by the very fact of their strength that they could have shown. We often get out of whack as, as Christians when theologically and, and even in our practice in our lives when we are unwilling to take God on his terms. And this is what I mean. We take the aspects of God that, that we like at the negation of the ones that we don't, that are not as palatable. palatable. Ultimately, what we do when we do that is we make him less than he is. So we like a God of love. Some argue that that's the God that we find in the New Testament, but, but we don't like the God of wrath. We like the God who forgives, but we don't like that he tells us we need to be forgiven. So we like forgiveness, we don't like that there's sin that needs to be forgiven, so don't talk to us about that. But what we find in Scripture is, as God reveals himself, is that when we, when we are content to remove aspects of God, we are not improving him. We are taking away parts of his character. We're actually making him less than he has revealed himself to be. When we remove one aspect of his character, we're actually new to those parts of him that we're trying to improve. For instance, when we say we like the God of love but not the God of wrath, but in the cross, we see that because God is a God of wrath who takes sin seriously, his love is intensified in his display for us on the cross. That's what makes the cross so amazing, a glorious mystery as John was leading us through. When we start to take away those things of God that maybe make us uncomfortable, we actually take away from the, the things that we think are so great about him. In May of 1820, Thomas Jefferson produced what would come to be known and is known today as the Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson was one of the founding fathers of the United States of America, and men like, like many of the founding fathers, another guy with some stellar hair. Can you go back to the other, the other shot? The, the, yeah, that one. That's the actual Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. Deist basically means this, that he believes there's a God who put everything into place like a clock. He, he designed it all, turned the crown on it, and then stepped back. And it just worked on its own. He doesn't, he doesn't step in to his creation at all. He doesn't intervene. There's much about the gospel accounts that Jefferson did not agree with. So taking a pen knife, he began to cut out those bits that seemed a little bit hard to take. Owen Edwards from the Smithsonian Magazine said this. He said, much of the material Jefferson elected to not include related to miraculous events, such as the feeding of the multitudes with only two fish and five loaves of barley bread. He eschewed anything that he perceived as contrary to reason. His idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic gospel concludes with Christ's entombment, but omits his resurrection. One wonders what the point of loving and following and worshiping the Jesus of this gospel is. And if you're like me, you say, man, what audacity. Who, who, who does he think he is to take a knife and just start cutting out things that he doesn't like? He's a lot like I am. <laughs> a lot like many of us. There are parts I wish were not in the Bible. Can we agree? There are a lot of parts that if they were not in the Bible, Christianity would be more far more palatable to our culture. A lot of things about sexuality, if we took those out, we'd seem like a much more approachable people. But to do so is to say, God, you're not wise. We know better. You are not wise. And negate his wisdom. You can buy the Jefferson Bible today. Now you can show the next shot. That is his actual Bible. You can show that next picture. The Jefferson Bible by Thomas Jefferson. Whose gospel is that? Thomas Jefferson's. Thomas Jefferson can't save himself. But that's the gospel that many of us, I know I myself, I'd be happy to live by. It's very easy. It's much easier to live by that gospel. Much easier to live by that. A God we do not disagree with is just a bigger version of ourselves, and he's not a God worth worshiping. God's gentleness can only be understood when it is placed next to his strength. God's gentleness can only be understood in, in its truest form when we understand his power and his strength and his wrath and his, his call out for justice. My wife and I were watching Planet Earth 2. It's back. And it's tougher than ever. 
I don't know if you guys have ever watched Planet Earth, but it's fascinating. And they did, like, a, after the first series they did, they, they came up with a second one. It's on Netflix right now. And we were watching one the other day. Like, <laughs> there's, like, this island with these iguanas. I never thought I'd ever talk about iguanas from the pulpit. But there's, like, this island full of iguanas. And they're just all sitting there. They're old. They're ugly. They're wrinkly. They're shedding. And then it pans to this other area of the island that's over these craggly rocks and in the sand where they, put, they, they laid their eggs months or weeks earlier, and these little iguanas just start popping their heads up out of the sand, and they're looking around. Now, I don't know what's going on with these adult iguanas, but in order for these baby iguanas to go and hang out with the rest of their family, they have to skim across this flat of sand surrounded by snakes that want to kill them. And it's like a weird alien movie. The minute he pops his head out and starts moving, you see these snakes simultaneously, you'll see like... 20 of them go, all these heads go up, and you think there's just one, but then they're coming here and here and here. It's like a, a scary movie. But you get fascinated by it. <laughs> like we're, going, we're kind of doing this and watching because some of them got caught, and you're, there's some slow motion, and they're trying to get up the rocks, and they're like snapping at them. There's something about that stuff that makes me, that inside I'm like, ooh, gross, and then makes me want to keep watching. Some of you remember a couple years back there was this one of a, of a, a crocodile taking on a wildebeest. Wildebeest are not weak. They're 600-pound animals. They're hard to take down. But when they come near the water and a crocodile uses his unbelievably strong jaws, he can take him down in one bite and cripple him. I remember watching, uh, uh, probably about 10 years ago, watching something that showed that. And then the next thing they showed was an image like this holding eggs in his mouth. With all that strength that can take down a wildebeest, he also has the ability to gently hold eggs in his mouth. And then the next shot is even more powerful and has quite an interesting... Now we say, ah, look at that crocodile's teeth. Notice that there's fresh kill still on the teeth. He's taken something down recently, yet in his mouth he gently holds the tiny crocodile. This gets us close to what the Bible means by gentleness. It's, it's not the absence of strength, but the application of strength to a tender situation. That's what the Bible means by gentleness. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, Isaiah says. His arm rules for him. There's strength in his arms. Yet he will gather lambs in his arms tenderly, and compassionately, Isaiah says. The power that is capable of, of, of crushing is tender and caring. That's the strength of gentleness. So gentleness is, is strength. There, there's also a healthiness that comes from gentleness. There's a health that comes from There's a real safety in living a life of gentleness. We can save ourselves from a lot of things. There is a door that you and I walk through when our default is anger. There is a default you and I walk through when our default is I'm going to show that I'm in control of this situation. I'm going to show the power and strength I have that I am right, they are wrong. There is a path you walk when you go through that door that could have consequences in five minutes, ten minutes, five years, ten years, five decades. And many of us know that when we've led with our mouth or led with our strength first. I wonder if every day on the way home from work, I should be reminded of this verse. As I make my way home, where I know my family is just pining time till I get there. When, when will dad be home? When will my husband be home? It's going to be wonderful when he gets home. They just, they just sit in a circle all day and talk about my character and what they love about me. And then I come in, and I'm less than gentle. I've worked all day. I, I mean, have you, you guys know some of the people I work with? And... And I want things the way I want it. I don't want that laying there. I don't want that there. And my, my, my poor innocent family that's been biding their time waiting for me to arrive gets this thunder through the front door. There are times, to be honest, when my, my daughter has been scared to speak to me because she's afraid that I will respond in a callous way and less than a gentle way. When I've been frustrated... And so rather than show strength, I've been less than gentle. 
and in small ways, I've made it difficult for her to relate with me. I should probably turn my internet off. Don't text me right now. Where tenderness would grow our relationship, open up a pathway of relating and, and love. Today, the default of our society, our culture, especially online, is to shoot to kill immediately without asking any questions. Take a quick glimpse of what we think is going on and then attack. Gentle is not the way I would describe the way most people act online. It's not the way of social media. People have stepped onto planes while making a stupid, unwise text to land seven hours later to have the world hate them because they have said something they shouldn't have said. To lose their job, to lose their friends, to have all of the world, all the people sitting in their basements by the glow of their computers tell them what a horrible person they are. It used to be we needed a judge and jury, now we just need a pulse and a smartphone. But the practice of gentleness brings health in a few ways. Gentleness, first of all, it diffuses between you and I. It diffuses what could be a horrible situation. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word, stir, harsh word stirs up anger. Ecclesiastes 10.4 says, If the anger of the ruler flares up against you, don't resign from your position, for a calm response can undo great offenses. In other words, when your boss gets on your nerves and he yells at you, don't, don't just leave your post. Respond with, with, with gentleness and you can calm a response and bring about health. Show gentleness and calmness. Don't match anger for anger. That's what we're so used to. Anger comes up, well, I'm going to up my anger then and we'll keep going like that. It doesn't work. I've had years of experience. It doesn't work. In the words of Mr. Miyagi, didn't think you were going to hear that this morning. Never put passion before principle. Even if win, you lose. Gentleness diffuses conflict. It also disarms. Gentleness disarms. Disarms. Speaking to, as I said, young pastors, Apostle Paul says to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring. Enduring evil. That means absorbing it. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, not with a hammer. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Isn't that what we're after? Gentleness disarms critics. I've had this experience a few times. I hate this experience. When I've decided what a, what a conversation's going to be like, when I get to meet with somebody, and they've done something wrong, and I've decided how they're going to respond to everything I say, and it's going to be bad. They're, gonna, they're, they're not going to understand I already know where this is going. And then I sit down and they're freaking gentle. They're kind. And they disarm me. And that like brings health to the relationship. This long-term health. Gentleness disarms conflict. Gentleness persuades. Persuades. Proverbs 25, 15 says... Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. It's not talking about violence, but it's saying there's, there's a power to gentleness to make even the strongest bend. Proverbs 16, 21, the wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Sweetness, gentleness, not domineering and yelling, it doesn't come from forced. It doesn't come by being imposed. That's not true gentleness. That's not true peace. If you wonder why no one listens to you or no one wants to have a, a serious discussion, it could be that you approach conflict more like Dwayne Johnson than Jesus. And Jesus knew how to flip tables, by the way. He knew how to make a, a whip of cords. But he also knew how to step in with those who were hurting and be gentle. That's why he's approachable for you and I. Because it's ultimately an act of gentleness that saved us. That's what the gospel is. 
It's a gospel of gentleness that invites us to new life in Christ. Not only does it strengthen us, sustain us in our, in our relationships for longevity, sustain health in our relationships and in our conflicts, but it's, it's the very model of our salvation. If you call yourself a Christ follower, if you, if you live your life with hope, it's gentleness that made that possible. It's the gentleness of your creator that made that possible. As, we, as I mentioned in Isaiah 42, verse 3, this description of the coming Messiah. A bruised reed he will not break, and, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. It's an interesting picture. Have you ever blown out a candle and it's that, that last little bit of orange that's just sitting in the wick? There's no flame anymore. It's just that little bit there. He says, this Messiah, although he's a, a, a Messiah, a, a God of power that will bring justice, he will be so delicate. He can be so gentle that he, even that wick will not go out. He's able to care for it in such a, as one writer says, a surgical forensic precision that the most delicate and fragile of things, like the human heart, like the rawness that you and I have and all our intricacies that we have being humans, it can be taken and nurtured with unspeakable care and protection. Christian author Sam Albury says, says it like this. He says, part of the wonder is that Jesus is able to combine what we so easily separate. In our experience, those who are gentlest tend to lack strength and force when it's called for, while those who are strongest tend to lack the capacity for gentleness and restraint. But Jesus exemplifies perfect gentleness and awesome strength. No one is crushed by mistake with Jesus. There is never any friendly fire or collateral damage. Isn't that the kind of saving that we need? Isn't that what we need? With whatever you've brought in here today, whatever brokenness in your relationships, whatever fear, whatever anxiety, don't we need a God like that? A God of power, a Messiah, a Jesus, sustaining all of creation by his word, all of time and space held together by him, holy, powerful, mighty, a God who calls us to something much better than we could ever think of for ourselves. Yet, yet, it is this God, this Savior, who set his power aside, who as one him says, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have called all the force and might of heaven with his heavenly Father pulling down some Old Testament fire from heaven. He could have. But instead, in gentleness, he approaches his creation. As a warrior? No. As a baby. As a baby. Taking on human flesh. The same hurts that you and I have as humans. Understanding rejection and pain. Did anyone understand this more than Christ? Physical pain. We, we serve a God who, who felt the pain of stubbing his toe. A God who, who took on flesh and walked among us. Who bleeds. Who talks to people who are shamed by their own decisions. Shamed by the, the culture that they're born into. Shamed by their life circumstance. And he, he does so with loving precision and gentleness. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, says, The Word, the everlasting God, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father. And what is He full of? Grace and truth. Philippians 2, 4, speaking of Christ, who was enthroned on high, He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant. He could have come as a king. He came as a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Hebrews 4.15, one of the most encouraging statements in Scripture about how our God relates to us. Speaking of Christ, he says, We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Do you see? Do you see how the potency of the gospel is lost when we, we neuter God of his power and his strength? His holiness, his desire for justice. The power of his gentleness and love 
is powerful, not in spite of all those aspects of his character. They are enhanced because of them. With all this power, with all this authority, strength, holiness, he amazingly, and I I should say surprisingly, is gentle and careful with us. That's the way he invites us into his kingdom. To throw down the burden of shame, to throw down the burden of guilt, and come to a gentle Savior. He knows us. He knows we are delicate. Psalm 103, verse 14, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So there's no hurt he doesn't understand because he's been there. He's someone we can trust with our most tender bruises, whatever raw hurts we bring in. And he won't be clumsy with us. He, he, he won't power over us. He, he can apply his unimaginable strength to us with affection and sensitivity. See, in a, in a fallen world like this, the fallen world that you and I find ourselves in, where we have sinned and where we've been sinned against, some of this, some of this, the results of the world we live in will, will leave us with deep wounds that seem unfixable to us. But Jesus knows us fully, understands us entirely. He loves us more than we love ourselves. He's even more committed to our ultimate joy and hope than we are ourselves, which can so often be so short-sighted. In our pain and in our confusion, in our weakness and mess, we come to him assured that he alone is trustworthy for our hurts, and our pains. He has the power and the capacity to help us at the deepest level with, with tenderness and care to want to do it. We can trust him with our deepest pains and bruises. There's no one more powerful, no one more gentle. So if you are a Christ follower this morning, you are a Christian, knowing the God of justice is also the God of grace, what will that look like when you have been unjustly treated this week? How will it manifest itself that you have been saved by gentleness? Knowing that our Savior who gave his life for many, who could have displayed all the power of heaven to justify himself and prove himself, instead for your sake and for mine, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What will that look like this week? Knowing that one of God's greatest displays of strength was in humility to take on the punishment owed you and I for our sin. When you are sinned against this week, What will that look like? You have been saved through a gospel of gentleness. Who deserves your wrath this week? Oh, you're going to discover some this afternoon. Who who really needs to be put in their place this week? You can call on all your might, your power, your strength, or as Paul calls us to, as the gospel calls us, we can allow that which has been lavished on, on us and, and offer it to those who at their core need a lot more than just a lashing. Who need more than just to be put in their spot for a moment. They need the gentleness of Christ, the gentleness of the gospel displayed in front of them because where else are they going to see it? Like you and I, they need life, transforming work of the gospel to be manifest in front of them to show a way different than what they are so used to in this world. So I want to encourage you this week not to pull up your bootstraps and say, i got to be gentle. And and then not be gentle with yourself. (laughs) What did you do? But to dive deeper into the gentle healer, Jesus Christ, who with all the authority of heaven knelt down and washed feet, got his hands dirty, was nailed to a cross, felt the full level of hatred of humanity, the fall of man thrown onto his shoulders. Let that manifest in your life this week as you display gentleness and kindness that goes far beyond any situation, far beyond a lashing out, a correction, 
of somebody. As we have been lavished grace and mercy and gentleness, may it flow out. The, the, the Greek idea of the word gentleness means a transferring of something. As, as God's grace and gentleness has been transferred onto us through the gospel, may we take it and transfer that gentleness onto those around us, our children, our spouses, our friends, our workmates, schoolmates, people at Starbucks who butt in front of us, who get in front of us, they've been in that line for 10 minutes and they still don't know what they want, show gentleness and grace and kindness. Let's pray. God of grace, this will not work in our lives if it is just going to be something on our checklist that we need to work on. The only way that gentleness will take us over where joy, love, hope, all of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit will take us over is if we dive deeper into the gospel to unpack more of the good news of what it means to be called a child of the living God. As we unpack more of what it means to have all the shame and guilt wiped away, to be seen by our Heavenly Father as righteous because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So may that be more than just a truth claim. May that be the very life, the very thing that moves and animates our body through your spirit. And may it live itself out this week through gentleness to those we live with, we work with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, before we close in a song of response, I am going to invite Pastor John Haas and Leanne to come on up to the front. And John and I are going to try to hold it together. Uh, as we all know, and John made it very evident as he uh, announced himself as the ethos pastor in the video. Um, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, John is going to be moving to another seat on the bus of CA Church. Um, John has been uh, worshiping and, and serving up at ethos for the last several years, as well as well he's been leading here. And we all feel, as John feels, uh, affirms this in his spirit as well, that he has been called to take on the position of the pastor of Ethos up at our other campus. And uh, so it is with joy that we see him go because everyone agrees it is great for the kingdom for him to be doing this and to put uh, all those who attend Ethos and minister through Ethos under his pastoral care is a, is a wonderful thing. Um, but we will miss him. And so today we want to thank you, John, for uh, your amazing ministry here, not just your love uh, for music, which you obviously have, and an amazing talent, but your love for people, your love for the church, your desire to see the kingdom move forward, and your integrity up here, as well as uh, your integrity in, in real life, is uh, something I, I admire, and you've taught me so much, and I continue to minister with you. I'm so glad John asked me the question like two weeks ago, like, are we even going to hang out anymore? It's like we're breaking up. We're just, we're just going to be friends, John. We're just going to be friends. Um, uh, I would like to invite uh, the shepherding elders and the elders to come up. And uh, I'm just going to lay hands on Leanne and John and pray for them and commission them as they step into this new position. Uh, after the service, uh, Ali Newfeld has uh, made us some treats to kind of, uh, I don't know whether we say celebrate, but whatever it is, uh, have a last supper with John up here. <laughs> um, so, so please hang out. Give uh, John and Leanne a hug. And uh, eat, some, eat some stuff with us later. We pray this. God, we thank you so much for the wonderful ministry that John and Leanne have had here at our Port Campus. Uh, not only here on Sundays, but as they've um, fed into the lives of others. As they've allowed your spirit to move in them and through them. To love and to encourage and to spur on others uh, in this church. God, we, we, we thank you for the way that John has led us. We thank you for his deep desire, uh, God, to see you worshipped wholeheartedly in spirit and in truth. And I thank you, God, that I have seen that lived out not only on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week as he passionately pursues you. God, we pray a blessing on John and Leanne and little Peter that you would, give, uh, you would surround them with your spirit. You would encourage them. You would counsel them and comfort them. And God, it's, it's my prayer that as, as John and Leanne continue to pursue your son, Jesus Christ, they would get closer and closer to him, and in doing so, be closer and closer to each other. I pray that John would be spirit-reliant, 
that he would rely on you, Jesus, not on his own strength and power, that he would continue to lead with the integrity and the gentleness that he has, and that you would do great things for the kingdom through his humble heart. We, we offer the both of them up to you. We, God, we pray for all those in, in ethos as you continue to grow that ministry. I pray they would be easy to lead, that when John has to lead in, he, lean in, he would do so with grace and gentleness, seeking reconciliation. I pray that all things he does, he would be well aware that he is, in, he is in, among family, that he is loved, and may the peace of Christ guide him. So, Father, bless him and keep him. Make your face shine upon him. God, give him grace. Turn your face towards him and give him and Leanne and Peter peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Yes, thank you so much. Let's stand together and sing, Be Thou My Vision. May 
guys just take a seat. I'd just love to just share a couple of words um, with you. I'm going to move to the other microphone to, to be a little closer. Well, you guys have been my uh, church family and Leanne's church family for the last, well, getting close to five years now. It's been an honor to be here with you all and to, to, to just sing. And one of my favorite memories of this place will always be as, as much as I uh, am so excited for the transition. There's been something special about uh, the acoustics of this place. It's been one gift. One, I think the one gift maybe in this building is that we can hear each other sing. And uh, as you know, my heart really has been for us as a people to learn how to to just resonate the praises of, of God in this place and to grow in singing together and to, to see the gospel formed in us through worship. And uh, I just pray that that would continue. I hope that that would continue. I have so much uh, excitement for Sarah coming and, and we love Sarah and she loves the Lord Jesus and I know that she will lead, lead you guys well. And I, can I just encourage you as Sarah comes in, she's taken a massive step of leadership in her life. Let's be an easy people to lead. Let's be an encouraging people to lead. And as Sarah comes and she gets used to doing this in a new capacity, in a new way, let's come alongside her. Let's love her. I just want to encourage, maybe if you're, just something really simple, like if you're, if you're in a place where you have the ability to invite her over for dinner or something like that, just a great way to get her cemented into the community. We need to do that more as a family, just be eating together and uh, in that way. Just, I just really have two small, very quick thoughts as we... As we close, um, as the Spirit was kind of just speaking to me, and the first one is this. I just, I just had this thought, and it was during the service today, and there's a lot of excitement for the new building, and, you know, I feel a little bit like Moses, having prayed for this for four years, never really getting to go into the promised land. So, I, you know, when I'm driving up Pine Tree, I'm just going to look, and I just, I'm just going to have a slow tear running down my cheek as I, as I realize, like, there it is, Lord. That's what the prayers were for, for that glory. So, guys, enjoy the glory, okay? Enjoy the glory. But this is a thought that I had. Um, as beautiful as it, as it is to have a new building, a building doesn't save people. A building doesn't suddenly make our mission easier. A building doesn't suddenly stir our hearts in a new and special way. The church is not a building, the church is us, okay? And the church grew, the church throughout history has grown because of relationships, because of Christians filled with the love of God, going out and loving in his name, meeting needs in his name. So there's going to be an amazing buzz, and it's a beautiful facility, and it's so exciting. But when it comes down to it, that building's not going to save anyone. So can I encourage you to be drawing close to Jesus, to stay close to him, to be keeping in step with the spirit, to take holiness in your life seriously, to take the killing of sin and the pursuit of Christ seriously, because there are so many people in this city who do not have what we just sung about, a vision of Jesus in their life. And he has called us, not the person next to you, not the person behind you, but us as disciples, as those who have the spirit in us to go out and love people in his name, serve people in his name. And so let me encourage you, as, as you move into this transition, what a great way to like have some reflection on yourself. How is my relationship with the Lord? What is my love factor like as, with the people around me? Am I, am I being open? Am I, am I being willing to just even enter into conversation and, and meet people's needs and love our neighbors and do these things that Jesus called us to do? Because the building will not save anyone. It's, it's, it's up to us. God has called us. We are his church. And I just want to read Hebrews 12. We read this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Listen to this, guys. This will keep you alive. 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't be weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. Run with endurance the race God has set before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. There are people here today that I started with at the port four and a half years ago who aren't here anymore. And they're, they're out in the world and they're not following Jesus anymore. And they, they've fallen away, they've slipped away. And I pray that like that picture of the prodigal son, there will be a day when they come back, that God's heart is to welcome them back. But I just want to leave by saying, like, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we can't take our faith complacently. To just, as a pastoral word into your life this morning, if you feel distant from Jesus, if it's been a month or two since you last opened your Bible, if you're in a place where you never pray, these things matter. And that ultimately, as we drift further and further away from Jesus, there will come a time where we just lose him altogether. Understand that the ground we live in in our culture is hostile to our belief. We are sitting in a world that is so, it's just taking us away constantly from Jesus. And we need to keep our eyes fixed on him and run for him. And my prayer is that every time I ask Brad how the port is doing, I just hear up more and more people who are going deeper and deeper in their faith. So can I just encourage you, even in this transition, moving over to this new building, get together in your families or friendship groups and just take seriously that question. And if you are struggling in your faith, talk to someone. Talk to Brad. He's a shepherd who loves you and wants to see you built up into the kingdom of God. And as a community, would that be said of the port that we are a people who fix our eyes on Jesus? Don't take sin lightly. Don't take the lack of spiritual disciplines and spending time with God lightly. These things matter. We do not want to fall away. I just want to pray for you guys. Jesus, I thank you so much for this family. I thank you so much for this community that reflects your grace. I thank you for the servant-hearted nature of the Port Church, of this incredible group of believers, those who love you, cherish you. Lord, being in, in buildings and different places and living out of containers and cupboards and, and, and putting this all together week by week, it's trained in our people a humility and a servant-hearted nature. And I pray that that would only increase as, as, as we move to this new facility. So God of grace, that is my prayer that you would be helping each and every person here to fix their eyes daily on you, Jesus Christ to realize the importance of what you called us to do, to be a light, to be salt in this world. The hope that we have, the songs that we've sung about today, the truths of the Savior that we have in Jesus. So many people around us do not know that. So many people, even just looking out from this new location at Evergreen, just looking at these, these high rises, hundreds, thousands of people who do not know the good news. So wake us up. If we have fallen asleep in our faith, wake us up to see the glory of Jesus, the perfect work of, of all that Christ has done for us and restore joy and peace. And would this be a community that is marked by love, a community that gathers and is encouraged and equipped to then go out and love and serve in your name for your glory. Amen.